0: Welcome to the We Invested Podcast, where we teach you how to save and make more cash. I'm your host, Wesley Earp, and this is Season 4, Episode 44. And on this episode, we sit down with Galen Hare, the founder and owner of Insurance Claim HQ. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's do it. Today on the We Invested Podcast, we have Galen Hare. He is the owner of Insurance Claim HQ. Galen, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How you doing, man?
0: I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm um excited to hear about this. I think this is one of the first podcast episodes where we talk about uh you know this type of company and just talking about this type of insurance in general, so I'm excited to learn more about it.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a cool area and you know one of the things that's really cool about this podcast is it does so much with financial literacy and I think insurance is an area that that gets overlooked all the time
0: for sure for sure and so i mean you know before we get started can you let the people know how they can contact you on social media or find you on the internet
1: yeah sure thing so on facebook and instagram our handle is insurance claim hq um, we're also on twitter and uh other than that you just go to our website insurance that's
0: awesome man so you know, let's just kind of start from the top, man, and talk a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Arlington, Texas, right outside Dallas. Uh, not a lot of financial resources. My mom was a German immigrant. Um, uh, my dad wasn't around much. So as a German immigrant, like she didn't even graduate high school. So there was just a lot that we didn't have kind of open to us, which was really cool. In a lot of ways because it taught me to work super super young so i worked really really young ended up putting myself through college ended up going to law school kind of by accident i was in school up in boston and hurricane katrina happened and i just kind of felt like it was this opportunity to really help people so i came down to new orleans and i did a lot of volunteer work um really helped out some some people in some really cool and powerful ways but a lot of them were lawyers a lot of them were law students so i ended up applying to tulane law school down here in new orleans ended up getting in and that was kind of it for me really i i made my entire career around helping people that are victims of natural disasters because it was just so formative for who i am and and who I, who I was at the time, especially. So now, today, like fast forward, geez, when did I graduate? It, it always hurts to think about how old you might be, right? So when I graduated, let's just say more than 10 years ago, um, you know, this, this wasn't even a thought. I just knew I wanted to help people, but now it's really cool because we're helping people that have been victims of disasters all over the country. Um, sometimes all over the world. We've handled a couple of things where we've consulted internationally. And um, it's really, really cool to educate people on insurance, how insurance works, what kind of component of that that's required for financial literacy on the outreach side. And then on the advocacy side, we just do so much work advocating against the insurance companies to get people paid fairly.
0: For sure. No, I mean, and that's definitely incredible. You know, and just, um, you know, moving down to New Orleans during a, Katrina and just kind of having that need to want to help others and help impact others but you know before we talk more about you know Insurance Flame HQ I just wanted to ask you you know you you moved from Arlington to Boston to New Orleans so you know what did you learn from moving the city to city and which city would you say impacted you the most or had the the, the um, biggest effect on you?
1: Oh, man, I don't know if I could pick which one impacted me the most, but it was such a cool experience, right? To I, I basically stayed in Texas until I was 18. Then I was in Boston until I was in my mid 20s. And then since then have stayed in New Orleans. Right. And man, any any time you have an opportunity and if you don't have an opportunity, you got to make it to just kind of travel and experience different people and experience different cultures. Um, it makes you such a better rounded person. You know, I think a lot of you look around at everything going on in the world on a given day. And, you know, some of those problems are just because people refuse to understand and accept each other. And I really just had this amazing opportunity to be forced to accept and understand so many people from so many different walks of life. And it's fundamentally made me who I am today. For sure,
0: for sure. And so, um, I mean, you know, let's just let's just get into the to a little bit more of the business side, man, and talk a little bit more about, you know, what, what you're currently doing and what you're currently working on. So, you know, what is Insurance Claim HQ?
1: Yeah, so I'm a lawyer and Insurance Claim HQ is really just a law firm. Um, we're just not stuffy, so we don't go by that name you know we don't we we have another name it's called hair shanara trial attorneys it's more of what you would anticipate as like your traditional law firm right but we call it insurance claim hq because we want it to be like a holistic provider of services for people that are having insurance issues lawyers are known for going to court and getting you money or costing you money or both but that's not everything you need when you have an insurance loss you need housing You need to figure out what stuff you lost. You need to get contractors in there, right? And what we've really done is kind of put ourselves in what I consider to be this market space gap where we can provide holistic services to people. But we're lawyers. We're licensed in all the states where we practice. We have the ability to go to court and we do. We have the ability to try cases and we do. But you won't, see us that way when you're working with us you'll see us as just kind of helping you fill in whatever blanks you need to navigate your insurance process
0: for sure and so you know how did you get started in this industry like what gave you the spark to you know just want to jump into the insurance industry and the financial services industry
1: Yeah, so I was always interested. I came down to New Orleans, you know, to do that volunteer work post Katrina. So that was a big thing in everyone's life at the time. You didn't run into someone that, like, didn't have an insurance problem. But for me, what really pushed it over the edge is shortly after law school, I'm out there. I've set up my own shop with a couple of friends. And when you're just starting out, you kind of take whatever comes in, right? You don't, you're not too selective. And I think that's for anyone in business. And, so I'm meeting with this guy on a discrimination case and I felt good about it. I felt like it was a really good case. And in the middle of our meeting, he just starts crying and he's like, I'm so sorry. I need to reschedule this for another day. And I'm like, what's going on, man? You know, grab the tissues. And he goes, my house burned down last night. And I was like, what do you mean your house burned down last night? Like you're sitting here with me talking about your discrimination case. He's like, yeah, I just need to go deal with that. Someone let me know if you did anything. Just tell me, just let me know if anything pops up you know, maybe I can help you out with that. He leaves and um, he calls me two weeks later and he goes, well, I still want your help with the discrimination thing, but I wanna to talk to you about the fire. And I'm like, okay, why? And he goes, cause the insurance company is telling me that I don't have coverage. I was like, what do you mean? Did you have insurance? And he's like, yeah, but now they're saying that I didn't pay or whatever. And he had all the proof. And that just kind of, that one case years ago, I was like, this is what I'm doing. There's no question. I'm not doing anything other than this. This is all I want to do is help people recover because insurance companies just will not treat you fairly sometimes.
0: For sure, for sure. I mean, and that's like a common theme that you hear, man. Something happens and and for some reason the insurance won't cover it or it's some uh, complicated equation that they use to let you know why this certain thing won't be covered by your your current policy.
1: Yeah, people don't understand how insurance is set up to kind of minimize claims. And it's kind of one of those, there's no way in one podcast we could get through even half of the things they do, right? But, But insurance is a... It's a factory is one way to think about it 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 has automated processes it has machines it has all these different workers filling different roles and they're all designed to save the insurance company money while bringing in more money right so for instance they have software that tells them how much it's going to cost you to redo your bathroom right they don't care how much it's actually going to cost you to redo your bathroom they care what this software says and when your contractor comes back with a different number They're like, well, that's not the number that's in our software, so we're not going to pay that, right? So that's like one, and, and there's ways we get over that and ways we deal with that, but that's one example of how insurance is just set up to kind of right out of the gate, make sure that you cannot get what you need in order to recover. And once you're in that position where your house is burned down or you've had a burst pipe or a hurricane at your house or tornado or anything once you're in that position where you're having to fight for your survival you suddenly find yourself very willing to make compromises and take less than you're entitled to
0: for sure man and it, it kind of just sounds like you know or it seems like these insurance most insurance companies deal with so many people and they start to see customers as just numbers and not actual people you know, like you said, they'll just put something in a in a software, and it'll it'll tell them what it's supposed to be, and they won't really listen to, you know, their customer specific problem or even try to hear them out.
1: Oh, that's exactly right. And you know, if they 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 don't try to hear them out because what what's going on is you have this insurance policy that you've been given. You may not even have agreed to it, but you've been given it for sure, okay. And it says all these things in it. It says what's covered. It says what's not covered. But then these carriers have their own internal guidelines and policies that they've never shared with you that say, well, we'll repair a roof, but we won't replace it. Or, you know, we won't pay for overhead and profit when a contractor bids it out. Right. All these things that you just never agreed to. And the problem is what you're doing is you're almost boxing against a ghost. You just can't see where they are, where they're going next. They don't share those things with you. So you're playing a game where you don't know the rules. And if you don't know the rules, it's very hard to win.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And I, I, I'm i
0: not sure if this next question is kind of on the flip side or if it's, it goes along the same lines, but something that I'm personally interested in learning about is, you know, insurance fraud. So, you know, how would you define insurance fraud?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that. So insurance fraud is traditionally defined as lying intentionally, making an intentional misrepresentation to procure or otherwise affect an insurance claim. And I kind of gave you the legal definition for a reason. When we think of insurance fraud, we think of like, you all see those jokes or those memes online, right? Where it's like, oh, hurricanes come in gotta take a photo of my stuff for my insurance company. It's got all that clip art of these big diamond rings and stuff everywhere, right? Like that's insurance fraud, okay? If it it's a joke, so so no, everyone's playing, but if it was true, if that's really what was gonna happen, that would be insurance fraud. But insurance fraud, when you think of it that way, it makes it sound one-sided and it's not one-sided. Insurance fraud works both ways when a carrier intentionally lies to you to reduce what they have to pay you or to make you think you're not entitled to something that also is insurance fraud when a carrier sends someone out and they create a fake report that is insurance fraud and you know first of all on that's what we call carrier side fraud on the insured side look i don't want anyone listening to this to ever lie when they're in the middle of a claim it's a felony it's wrong it's not fair to anyone okay but when a carrier commits fraud it causes joblessness it causes homelessness it causes divorce it causes suicide and so it's a massive crime and you know I'm part of a group called the American Policyholder Association and that's one of the things we do is we fight insurance fraud and we and we're against all insurance fraud but one of the things we focus on is that carrier side fraud because it doesn't get enough attention, but it's been proven time and time again. Like this isn't fake, we know it exists. After Hurricane Sandy, they found tons and tons of forged engineer reports. And ultimately like an executive from an engineering company got walked out in handcuffs and Congress had to open all of these closed Sandy claims to review them for fraud and underpayments as a result of fraud. Like, like this has happened and this continues to happen all over the country, but because the insurance company is doing it, it doesn't get as much attention as it should.
0: No, nah, man. And that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Cause this is the first time I've heard about um, carrier side fraud. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that was something that's possible but of course I mean it's not it's not hard it's not hard to believe or it's not unbelievable because you know companies can play by their own rules from time to time we all know that's a that's a real thing but I think it's uh amazing you know that you're bringing attention to that and bringing awareness to it and just kind of letting the people know that hey this exists and this is a real thing um but you know what would you say are some of the ways or you know a way that people can protect themselves from this type of carrier side insurance fraud?
1: Yeah, so there's a few different ways that you can protect yourself against carrier side insurance fraud. The first way, which is really, really simple, right? And it sounds really simple as it should, is recording and documenting things. Now, before I say that, let me make it very, very clear that if you're in a state where it's illegal to record without telling them, then you need to tell them. That's gonna depend on your state So as a direct result, I really don't want you to do anything that could put you in a bad situation. You know what I mean? But assuming you can record, or if you're in a state where you have to get their permission, assuming they will let you, then it's really, really important to me that you do that. And the reason is this. People always say, well, why do you care? You know, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't think that I don't think that you should record people you should trust them i will tell you from deposing hundreds of adjusters they will unfortunately look you in the eye and lie to you so that's the first thing i'd say the the next thing is like don't be an easy victim um if you're listening to this podcast you obviously care about financial literacy you care about those things so become an educated consumer learn about the claims process who the roles who the parties are some people will lie about why they're there learning that stuff on the front end is really helpful. You can ask questions without being uncooperative or difficult. Right. They have a duty to answer your questions and treat you in a transparent and fair manner. Um, Every state has different standards, but generally speaking, an insurance company should treat you fairly. Right. Um, I'd also say like there's there's a whole list of things. Right. But the next one is and and this is a, a big one. Make sure that the insurance company understands that their interests are ad make sure you understand that the insurance company's interest is adverse to yours. We watch these commercials with all these cute little animals on them during every big sports game and every big popular TV show because the insurance companies spend billions of dollars convincing us that they care. You will find out the hard way that they do not care when you have a claim, right? But to change that mentality where they've spent all that money sending you these subliminals, You have to you have to remember that you're in a financial transaction with them and you're on the bad end of it. So make sure you don't just trust everything they say, right? Verify things. Insurance claims are a zero sum solution. They're either going to make money or they're going to lose money and they don't intend to lose money. So be aware that every dollar you take is a dollar they lose. And they're not gonna be happy about that. So when they're telling you, oh, your policy doesn't pay for this, you should open that policy and take a look or better yet, get someone else.
0: For sure, man. And I think those are some great um, pieces of advice. And I, I think you raised a really good point too, man, because you know, you're know you right, insurance company companies do spend billions of dollars on marketing and advertising, painting themselves as like they're on our side or like you're in good hands or You know, whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, they are still a company, a for-profit company, whose goal is to make money and cut costs um, by any means necessary.
1: Exactly.
0: For sure. So, um, you know, another interesting question, um, you know, is what is an assignment of claim and what are some of the benefits of this?
1: yeah you're getting um you're getting super deep i I love it because i don't get these questions because most people don't care enough to to learn about these things right so an assignment of claim is when someone comes in and gets the actual insurance claim assigned over to them and right you're never supposed to use the same words in a definition but let me let me clarify there's two ways this usually comes up the first way is if you're into real estate investing you may purchase a home with an active insurance claim on it and you may ask that seller the prior owner of the home to assign their insurance claim to you you paid less for the property because it was damaged but you may be able to recoup some of that investment by actually going after the insurance company on that seller's behalf and keeping those funds to fix up the property right that's the first situation where it's quite common the other situation is some contractors will take on an assignment of claim or something called an assignment of benefit, which is very similar. Um, And what they'll do is say, well, we'll fix up your property today, Wesley, okay? But in exchange for that, we want all the proceeds of your claim. We want the ability to collect on that claim. That can be a good deal. Um, If what you care about is just getting your house fixed, that's really not a bad deal because then the contractor kind of steps in the place of being responsible for going and getting the money, right? Now, you know, they're gonna have things in there like you have to cooperate and help out where needed, but that's what an assignment of claim is. And um, it's been vilified by insurance companies over the last few years, including some states have passed legislation allowing insurance companies to like disallow assignments in their policies. Well, there's a reason for that. They don't want contractors going in and doing the work up front and then going after the money. They want you in a home that's messed up for as long as possible. So you, as a result, become desperate and will take less money.
0: Well, sure. So an assignment of claim can benefit both the contractor as well as the homeowner. So both parties can win and then the insurance companies will be mad.
1: That's exactly it. That's exactly it. No, that's
0: perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. And it, that's uh, also something that I've never heard of before, but it's, it's very interesting to learn about and, uh, you know, just see some of the benefits and, and and to learn about some of the fine print.
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of things out there that it kind of just depends on who you talk to, right? And they look at it different ways. But I look, I, I've never seen an assignment end up harming a homeowner ever.
0: For sure. For sure. I mean, and um, you know, I was excited about this interview, and uh, it's been in the works for a long time now. But um, you know, something that I ha- that I've noticed and that I've seen is that you know it's it's pretty late in New Orleans right now, and you're putting in that work late night. Um, and I'm sure you've had a long day, and like we mentioned earlier, you know Mardi Gras is going on, but you know you're you're still working and still. Uh, promoting your business and, and bringing value to the listeners so i mean you know you're no stranger to hard work so you know is, is entrepreneurship an interest that you've always had or is it a, a skill set that you had to grow with and develop over time
1: yeah i think i think it's always been something for me i, I think i'm a bad employee right They say that entrepreneurs are the only people that will work 100 hours a week for themselves so they don't have to work 40 for someone else. Um, I mean, I was always a hard worker, but maybe a bad employee, if that makes sense. I was always kind of looking around for things I could change. I didn't understand when I ran into bureaucracy, why we couldn't just fix the problem. And I really didn't like I started working when I was 13, man um and even at that age i really didn't like when someone told me no and there was no reason behind it i i could always understand when i'm just wrong um but i never understood when rules are rules for no reason so i was probably always a bad employee (laughs) i ended up starting my own dj business at 16 and um made a really good chunk of money with a friend with a friend of mine for a couple of years and um was always kind of looking for something that i could do for myself like promoted nightclubs when I was in Boston um, had some jobs like I did like overnight room service and things like that I could I could hold down a job but I always wanted to do my own thing always for sure I mean uh,
0: you know when you when you first started your your practice um and your company insurance claim HQ how was that transition for you you know was it a was it ever intimidating were you excited about it what was your outlook on starting starting a new journey
1: Yeah, I think I'm like always the optimist, but sometimes unfairly to myself, right, is when I first went out on my own, I was terrified. Mm -hmm. Um, I had two partners who still to this day are all very good friends, and one of them still works with me. And, you know, they were never quite as worried as I was. I was always really worried. I remember coming home one night and telling my fiance like, hey, there's no more work she's like, what do you mean? I was like, I spent all night just looking at what we have coming in and et cetera. And, um, uh, there's no more work. I'm going to have to go get a job. I'm going to go get a job tomorrow. And, um, uh, she like looked at me and she's like, well, that's fine. If that's what has to happen. And like the next day, some like multi-million dollar case came in the door that like floated us for many, many months while we, and we invested all that money back in to build our brand. Right. But when I left my prior firm, to start insurance claim hq it was like a passion it had been burning inside of me for a couple of years it was something i wanted to do really badly and i had like one really really awesome partner and two partners that i just felt like did not support the business didn't we, we just didn't have the same morals or ethics so it was a no-brainer i, w- I didn't even look back when i left
0: for sure I mean it's something that you mentioned earlier or something that you just mentioned was that you know once you landed the, the the big client or the big case the multi-million dollar case you know you said that one of the first things you did was invested it back into your brand so um you know where did you learn like this business acumen from like how did you how did you acquire this knowledge to un- to be able to understand, okay, this doesn't mean I get to have fun with this money, even though we just hit big, I need to invest it back into the company to help grow the brand?
1: Yeah, I think just why, I think it's a few things. So first of all, my first job that I ever really did have, I worked for an entrepreneur who had started his own business and grown his own brand and his brand had become very big in Texas. So I watched that and he talked to me about these things all the time. Man, the biggest thing you can do anytime you have a chance, if you're a current entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, surround yourself by successful people, right? I mean, I really feel like that. If you surround yourself by successful people, your odds of being successful go up big time. Now you gotta do more, right? You gotta listen to what they're saying and you gotta watch them and emulate them. But I have just made a point of finding successful people and either getting to know them so they'll actually talk to me or watching them and not you're not always going to copy them but sometimes you're going to emulate little specific things they do and then uh, finally things have really changed the last couple of years I think anyone that's into entrepreneurs like knows this there's all these coaching programs there's all these masterminds I think you can spend a lot of money for no reason, or you can spend some really well-placed money. But I identified like one mastermind. You don't need a bunch of them. I promise you, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. When you're spending more money on masterminds than you are in your business, you're making a big mistake. Um, And when you're traveling all the time for these masterminds, instead of running your business, you're making a big mistake. But I found one mastermind I wanted to do. It's like three workshops a year. So like six days, not a lot of commitment but it's surrounding myself with other very, very successful law firm owners and we trust each other and we're transparent with each other. We talk about our problems and we help fix them. And if you don't want to pay for something like that, you can do that yourself by surrounding yourself by other entrepreneurs that you consider successful and forming your own group where you're transparent and you share information.
0: Man, I think you just gave a lot of great advice right there. And uh, one of the ones that kind of stand out to me, even though I've never uh, done a mastermind or anything like that yet, but just saying that if you're spending more money on a mastermind than you are in your business, or if you're spending more time traveling to get to these masterminds instead of running your business, then that may not be the best way to do it. And I think that's a great outlook to have on it. And uh, I feel like it'll just put it into perspective for a lot of people that feel like, the best thing to do with your money is to buy these masterminds instead of putting it back into the brand
1: well and i think you are running your own mastermind for everyone else right i mean kind of you're providing all this like i I mean i looked you up well in advance of us doing this as we were trying to get this together i mean 90 episodes as of the time that we recorded this and plenty more in the works i know so you know what what you're doing for all these people is collecting all this information And providing it to them for free, by the way, Uh, which is amazing. And um, maybe you're the only thing you're missing, right, is the ability to hear what all your listeners think and the listener's ability to ask questions. But for people that don't know or are too scared to jump into this mastermind world that's so popular these days, podcasts like this are the next best thing. I mean, some of the people that you've had on just in the last few weeks are impressive. And there was some and I listened to like 10 episodes and there was something to be learned in every one of those.
0: Man, I appreciate that. That really means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, man, thank you for the kind words. But, you know, just having, you know, run your business and and just been in the industry for a while. You know, what would you say are some some lessons that you've learned throughout your career and throughout your journey?
1: Yeah, I'd say a few things. We, We really like these. Sayings right in today's society, like no days off, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. They're all really good, but I'll say a couple of things take strategic pauses, meaning you can't hire people at breakneck speed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right? Take you have to take time to evaluate where you're at and where you're going next. Um, that should be a time of growth, but it's not active growth, if that makes sense. So for instance we don't spend 52 weeks a year growing we right. probably spend about half that much growing i spend i spend half the year evaluating where we're at where we want to go and then making a plan for what we need to do next and then half the year implementing all of those plans um and and it's not 26 weeks 26 weeks right it's like two and two four and four right. um but you need to take strategic pauses i think that's really important I think the other thing is be absolutely paranoid about your competition but not your past decisions meaning you gotta look if you make a mistake you gotta go back and fix it right but do not one do not spend your professional life wondering what if i'd done this or man if i just invested in that or if i just bought that my life would be different screw that you're done keep going run your business you got mouths to feed you got things to do Don't second guess your past decisions unless there's something you can go correct. But with that said, be absolutely freaking paranoid about what your competition is doing. I'm not interested in beating the other law firms that are my competition. I am interested in wiping them off the face of the map and extending myself so far ahead them that they can't possibly catch up, right? And that's what we're in the process of doing now. But so I I stay paranoid, I, I look at what they're doing. My my goal is not, can I beat the competition? My goal is, can I make the competition so scared to come after me that I don't have anyone to beat, right? And, and I think that translates to any industry.
0: Yeah, man, it sounds like that's that Arlington mindset, you know, just to dominate, you know, dominate any competitor. But I think, you know, you just gave some, you know, just dropped more gems for us because, um You know, I agree with that. Like you said, man, our society is a go, 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 never stop, never sleep kind of society. But taking that time to be strategic, taking that time to plan, taking that time to understand and to strategize where you are, how you've gotten there. Um, And I feel like when you take that time to step back from the growth just to analyze things, that gives you the chance to look at your competitors, study your competitors and see what they're doing and see how you can take them off the face of the earth as you as you put so yeah man I think that's all great advice that all intertwines with each other and and just kind of fits together perfectly like a puzzle um but you know my next question for you would be how do you define success as an entrepreneur
1: yeah I think it depends on who you are and what you want right I think success is different for different people for me success really is about constantly having something to work towards and knowing that whatever goal I set is going to be achievable, not because I'm setting low goals, but because I'm constantly expanding my ability and my resources to be able to meet those goals. Right. But I think goals are an interesting thing. And and I think success is an interesting concept. And I, I say that in a really meaningful way. And what I mean by that is this, I want you, I want anyone to set their own goals that make sense for what they're trying to accomplish. Right. And as long as you're achieving those goals or getting close to them, in my mind, you're successful and don't let anyone take that away from you because the grind is really hard in the United States. This is not a country where we just hand. I mean, some people get things handed to them, but one of the things that makes this a cool place to live is that you, me or anyone listening to this can come from nothing. I came from nothing and accomplish a lot and help people in the process. So I I think success is going to be different for different people. And I'm not going to judge anyone for a second.
0: So, you know, what would you say is the most important reason for your success? And I, I have my own idea right now, because like I mentioned earlier, you're in the office right now and it's, and it's late right now, but what would you say is the most important reason for your success?
1: Yeah. 24 seven. Um, and I'll tell you for me, the key was finding someone supportive and loving who would know and let me put my business first, you know, um, you ever talk, you ever hear of the four burner theory Wes? no, I've never heard of that. So the, the four burner theory, basically, if you think of like one of those old stove and ovens, right, it's got the four burners on it and you got like your health, your friends, your family and your business and just like those old ovens right if you would turn all four if you would turn one burner on to full and then you turn the other three on they'd all go down a little bit right yeah you can't ever burn all the burners full blast so right you got to turn off at least one and sometimes you got to turn off a couple and what I believe which is really controversial but some of the other people that I look to as successful believe as well is every once in a while, you got to turn off all three. Now you can't do it often, right? Because you will alienate your friends. You will alienate your family and you will lose your health. Um, So this isn't like a do it for a year or two at a time, but maybe a couple of weeks at a time. But, um, But I will turn on that one burner. I will take that business burner and put it on full blast. And to have family and friends that understand that about me and love me anyway has been... 90 percent of it so between the so you got to have the hustle but it's not enough if you don't have the support system so putting those two things together i think is made insurance claim hq a success
0: how would you like for people to remember you and your company
1: (laughs) i always say that i hope i get put out of business because insurance companies do the right thing so look every time we get an insurance company to change a policy that hurts a homeowner or a consumer. And we do that quite often. I feel like I'm writing my gravestone, you know, and and I'm writing what's ultimately gonna be on there. So that's how I wanna be remembered as someone that actually fought for people and made some changes along the way. You know, you mentioned
0: uh, insurance companies using softwares a little earlier, but what I wanna ask is like with AI becoming more popular and and every business utilizing this technology, um, how does that affect your business? Like, does it, does AI like reduce the amount of human error and, 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 uh, carrier side fraud or how
1: does that work? Eventually, but right now it increases it. Um, you know, people forget about this all the time, right? Like everyone's so excited for self-driving cars. Everyone's who, like, who isn't excited to finally get in that car, push a button, lay back and take a nap and show up at work. Right everyone's looking forward to that except there's going to be some big products liability cases up until that point right Right. there's going to be cars crashing and stuff right so right now what we're seeing on the ai side is there's all these softwares and computer programs that are like identifying the damage and pricing it out and they're doing a terrible job way worse than humans could do um but what does that mean for the future i don't know here's the problem insurance companies, at least in my experience, are not gonna put into place a computer system or an AI that's gonna be designed to pay people fairly. So who knows? In 15, 20 years, assuming I'm still lucky enough to be around, I may be spending more of my time hiring software analysts to figure out how the computer systems are cheating people instead of spending time hiring litigators to figure out how the adjusters are cheating people. But either way, I don't think the problem is going away.
0: That's awesome. No, that's awesome. I mean, it's it's good and bad. I'm happy to hear that for Insurance Claim HQ, though, for sure. But, um, you know, speaking of the future, what does the future of Insurance Claim HQ look like to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, it's continued growth. So we are the only firm that I think you would seriously want to consider hiring in the Gulf South. And we're starting to take over the East coast. So my goal is over the next three to five years to take over the East coast and um, over the next 10 years to take over the Midwest. And then we'll start looking towards uh, the West coast.
0: Man, that's that's awesome, man. Galen, thank you so much for your time today. You've just provided tons of value for me as well as for the listeners. And I really appreciate your time, but your time and your knowledge, but before Before I let you go, you know, at the end of every podcast, we like to play a rapid fire question game where I ask you three questions. So if you're willing to play, I'll go ahead and ask. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Where is your favorite place to travel?
1: Disney. Which one? (laughs) Disney World. We go to the campgrounds. That's in Florida? Yeah, yeah. It's in Florida. And they got like we got RVs. So we like to camp out.
0: Nice. Nice. Question number two what song represents your life the most <laughs> i
1: don't know man <laughs> <laughs> i i think there's a lot of them but um but you know i came from an opera background so um it's actually called the songs of travel but that doesn't mean anything to most people
0: that's dope now that's that's super cool it's first time first uh opera genre of heard. so super dope and look final question What's an amazing thing that you did that no one was around to see?
1: I um, I don't know that no one was around to see. That's a good one. I um, I re-roofed my house right after a hurricane and no one saw me do it. And I love it to this day when roofers all tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. You know.
0: <laughs> Not nah, that's super dope. Galen, thank you so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. And I enjoyed talking to you and learning from you.
1: Likewise, man. It was great.